Welcome to The Breakdown with Broadcom and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Michael Broadcorp. And I'm Becky Share. We are here today with a post-Christmas episode. We are taping pre-Christmas. We hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas. We're going to kick things off today by chatting with our guest, Carl Yeager. Carl is a neighbor and friend of mine in Egan. Carl has been a DFL activist and ran for the state legislature in 2023. He has spent time working with the Minnesota Conservation Corps. Previously, Carl served as a student leader and editor-in-chief of his college's satire magazine. With Carl, we're going to break down the new Minnesota state flag. Carl is quite an expert on flags. We will get into the selection process and how we got to the finished product. And of course, we'll be hearing our strong opinions about the entire process. We'll then break down the recent Colorado ruling to keep Trump off the ballot in their state and what it could mean for here in Minnesota. We'll also hit Chris Christie being left off the ballot in Maine. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. We're happy to be joined today by Carl Yeager. Carl, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. We're going to talk about one of your favorite subjects, state flag. Now, I want to remind our listeners of something. We had Representative Mike Freiberg on in an earlier episode this year talking about the state flag. When I had Representative Freiburg on, I made reference to the fact that there was an area gentleman who had brought the flag up to me and is what got my interest in the subject. And that area gentleman, was you had discussed it with me. I think we were cleaning off the rink outside the back of your house and, and the pond. The, the Carl's family has a, a, they have a pond and there's a neighborhood pond and the family there cleans off the rink. We get to play hockey in the wintertime. And I think we were cleaning it off at one point and you hmm. bent my ear about the state flag and, and your, yes, your, yes. your passionate frustration with the flag and that it needed to be changed. And you were the first person who ever discussed the reasons and the basis for changing the flag. It led to an episode on our podcast where we invited a state representative on who had been leading the charge of the legislature and you I think we're the reason that we have a new state flag now. I think you're, you were the part of the reason we have this new flag on. And so we have this new state flag. And so when Becky and I were discussing having a conversation about the new state flag, I could not think of anyone better to have on this subject and potentially others than you. Well, Take it you. away, it's, Carl. It's an honor Talk to be pulling behind the scenes. It's, it's great, great. It's an honor to be pulling all the string behind the scenes. <laughs> Let's talk about the state flag. Let's talk about it from your perspective. What I'd like to start with a little bit of the selection process and maybe go through a little bit what your con- what your concerns were with the original flag, why it needed to be changed, and a little bit of the process. Absolutely. So uh, as a matter of fact, the first email I ever sent to an elected official uh, was when I was 13 years old. I emailed my state senator uh, saying we need to change this flag because it really is abysmal. It is, uh, it is a blue background. It, it is, for the time being, a blue background with uh, some text, a whole mess of stars, a very complicated state seal on it, surrounded by uh, detailed drawings of our state flag, the lady slipper, or sorry, state flower, the lady slipper. Um, it's, it's, it's a huge mess. I had to draw it for school in sixth grade many years ago, and it was it was one of the worst assignments I've ever had to do. Uh, it's it's really terrible, and you can understand why nobody really wants to rally around this flag for aesthetic reasons. Uh, there's also the um, the content of the seal itself, though, which shows a white farmer with a gun uh, watching a Native American leave the land, 
which is not, I don't think, a great uh, way to represent our state, which today, you know, we're proud to have a vibrant Native American community. And, and you know, it, it, it's, you know, people of the time, the mid-19th century, uh, had a pretty clearly genocidal intent toward Native Americans. And it's entirely inappropriate to have that reflected on the flag. So it, we've needed a change for a long time. Uh, now I was I was really excited to see that uh, I remember I remember this spring as I was as I was watching all the the new and exciting uh, bills come in that uh, bill to change the flag was one of them. So I just want to ask this quick question: You were 13 when you sent your first email. That's to right. State you sent it to your state senator talking about the flag. May I ask just for audience for our listeners: How old are you now? I am 21. So that was eight years ago. You were on this eight years ago. Yes. You were beating the drum on getting rid of the flag. Yes. I don't know that there's anyone who was sending out emails eight years ago. And so God bless <laughs> you for being ahead of the curve on this. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, uh, well, it's, it's, been, it's been an abomination for far longer than that. Let's talk a little bit about the selection process. Your take on the <laughs> selection process and how you thought that went. Yeah. Uh, in theory, I think the... So let's see, we have the, the, the process the bill set out is we've got this committee, which will then accept submissions, potentially work with experts, refine, you know, that's like, what's the alternative? That's a perfectly sensible way to do it. And I think it's also a good idea to have to require uh, people from different backgrounds beyond the committee. Uh, I think that's, that's appropriate. I'm glad that happened. Um, I do think that, uh, there maybe was a, a lack of design expertise or lack of vexillological expertise on the committee based on based on the things I heard them saying and the designs that they seemed to like. Uh, seemed out of step in many cases with, I think, what is, is uh, typical good taste in flags. Uh, and that's, you know, looking at, at not just my opinions, but also the standards of the North American Vexillological Association, uh, which are not, you know, not hard and fast rules, but they're good guidelines to be aware of. Um, and the committee at various times seemed to take no heed of them and uh, be determined to follow them to a T despite whatever odd conclusions that might bring them to. So um, the first set of real finalists we got on the flag side, we had these six finalists that included the original draft of of what is now going to be the next flag we had uh the the popular favorite uh, according to at least the fair vote uh, informal rank choice uh poll uh the the starflake flag uh, navy background with the the gold four-pointed star and the snowflake uh the eight-pointed snowflake design many people like that myself included uh that was one that you liked that was that was my personal favorite. I'll give away my bias on that one, but I'm okay being biased because it looks like the plurality or majority of people uh, agree with me. Did um, that flag meet the components that you think need to be in a flag? Absolutely. And and so one of the things I'm a sucker for in a flag is a strong central symbol. You look at something like Canada, right? It's a pretty simple flag. It's only got two I colors. I love Canada's flag. I think, it's by the way, I think Canada's flag. got a great flag. I think it got a great national anthem. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to come back and talk about the national anthem some other time, but 
uh, Absolutely. Canadian flag, right? Strong central symbol with that maple leaf. And that maple leaf motif is everywhere in Canada. It's fantastic. And so a, a, like a strong central, and there are a whole bunch of other flags that do this really well. Strong central motif can tie a flag together and be a great design element you see in other places. And we do have that on the final flag. We have that eight-pointed star that we also see in the Capitol Rotunda and, and other places. And I'm glad we do have that. Uh, but in particular, the, the design I'm talking about, it was F-29 uh, called the Starflake. Um, I think it would have been an excellent emblem for Minnesota with the strong central symbol. Um, that's really the strongest other contender of the bunch. The, the others, uh, you know, a couple of them had, had some wavy lines and, and some swooping. I think that's silly because you have a flag waving in the wind. What's it going to do? You're going to see wavy lines anyway. Don't draw them on the flag. Have straight lines. It's going to be wavy lines when it's blowing. We don't we don't really need need that. It's just going to look silly. Uh, some of them look like, I don't know, like corporate logos or really sort of boring, like things like that. Some of them are really, really complicated. There was this geometric flower one with a bunch of tiny little stripes on the sides representing something I don't even remember. And then some of the stripes are different colors. It's bizarre. And it, it really has no business being being a finalist for a state flag. Um, and they were, I looked through all 2,200 submissions uh, very thoroughly. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, repeat that again. You looked through how many? All 2,200 flag submissions, uh, embarrassingly thoroughly, yes. You, you looked through all 2,200 submissions? It was a fun morning. 2,200 submissions, you looked through all of them. Yes. Becky, do you understand how fortunate we are to have? <laughs> I got to tell you something. We are so blessed. It's super impressive. Well, the fact that we have someone on the podcast who looked at, again, all 2,200. Yes. God bless you. Keep going, Carl. <laughs> well, there were a number of uh, excellent contenders, uh, including the popular favorite, Dog on Lawn. Uh, and, and, uh, I, I'm just bewildered at how the, how the committee got here. I don't know what their internal thought process was, but I'm, I'm bewildered. I don't know whether this was some sort of, like, I saw people speculate that they were trying to tank the process by choosing a bunch of terrible designs. Uh, and if that's where we are, like, a, we can all agree a bunch of flags look great. How have they chosen a bunch of them that look terrible? Uh, it's, it's a little odd, but. One of the other things I said was, um, so we went from we went from these six designs, uh, then we went down to three, and then we had a bunch of different variations of the three. And when we went from six to three, what the committee said was, oh, we're going to eliminate the the Starflake F twenty nine, the the you know Starflake on the navy banner. We're going to eliminate that one because there's no green on it, and we want green on the flag. And look where we are now. We got a flag with no green on it. So. What does what's the committee after? Are they after are they after just eliminating the star flag just because they don't personally like it and they had to come up with some reason for it? I I have no idea. I'm not accusing them of that, but it just seems like they were confused in terms of what they were looking for. And some more design or vexillological expertise on the commission uh, could probably have helped with that. Um if you could for our listeners describe and if you know this, um I don't want to put you on the spot, but the, the composition of the committee members. I have, I have, it was, a, it was a mix of, it was a mix of, I think it was some legislators and some other people that were selected. Um, 
do, do you have an idea on the expertise of all the committee members? Um, I, I don't. Uh, I don't have any idea as to their backgrounds. Um, I know, for example, that uh, Secretary of State Steve Simon was on the committee, right? And you know, I like him as a Secretary of State. I have I have no idea whether or not he's good at at this sort of work. I didn't I didn't follow his particular uh, contribution closely, but it it, it is he's, um, like he is uh, Becky's uh, favorite political nerd. Hmm. Um, I love me some election law, but yeah, keep going. <laughs> um, the number one priority is having people who know about this field and what makes a good flag. And it's just not clear to me that we had that based on based on the way they were talking and conducting the uh, work of the committee and the flags that uh, we saw them select at, at various stages of their work. Okay, so the, of the, the so we have the new pick right now. And when did you let's talk about this? When did you see? Were you watching the selection process online, or you saw the grand unveiling? When you, what was your first reaction when you saw the new flag? So um, before I had seen that, I had seen the I had seen a picture of it. it was like a a big poster board with half a dozen different like variations of the final design that they had settled on. Um, and it included one that I thought was pretty likely to be the final flag because it had green on it and was pretty similar to the original design. It had the are you pro green or anti green? I'm ambivalent. Uh, a good flag can have green or it cannot have green. Um, in in this case, I like the version with green better. Um, okay, and I, I can explain why in a moment. But um, there was a version, and I, I'll send you the the picture I'm looking at. Uh, as well, so you can see it. And I don't know what you do with your show notes, but so people can see that. Um, Our show notes are private and none of your business. Okay, that's oh, okay. all you need to know. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Sorry so that. there was this there's this poster board of of you know half a dozen different variations, including the one that's now that's now uh, the final the final version, and one that is like the final version, but instead of that light blue field, um, instead of that light blue field. There was a light blue stripe, white stripe, and a green stripe. Correct. Uh, I liked the look of that quite a bit. I was confident that they would go with that. I, I, I felt pretty pretty likely that would be the case because they, they wanted green. They obviously liked this design. Here's a few tweaks. The white in the middle makes more aesthetic sense than the white on top. Um, so I, when, I, when I, I got the Star Tribune notification on my phone, they selected a finalist. Uh, and I was, uh, let me tell you, I was, um, I was wrapping Christmas presents at the time and, uh, well, we're, we're just lucky I had the scissors put down. Uh, I was, I was really upset. Um, there, it, the flag has, it's got the, the Navy, uh, sort of K shape Minnesota, and then it's got the light blue field. Um, there is a reason that two shades of the same color are not common on flags. And that reason is because it doesn't look very good. It's not very I, interesting visually. Um, not to mention, I don't personally think it's a great idea to have a large light blue field on a flag because it's the color of the sky and it's going to blend in. Um, I want to pause for just a second here because um, I want to note um, where this kind of started. Uh, I got a text message from Carl 
Carl and I exchanged text messages, and he, and he goes, he sent me a tweet that he sent out. He goes, I'm emailing my legislators to vote no on this flag, and you should too. Huge whiff on the part of the committee. This is a boring flag I would be embarrassed to have represent my state. Minnesota deserves better than a flag death by committee. Minnesota deserves better than a flag death by committee. Okay, so you were pretty upset right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sent the text to me, and I, I, you asked me thoughts on flag. I responded with an equally passionate objection. It's a crime against humanity. I mm-hmm. plan to record an, a podcast episode about the flag. There's, would you be interested in being on? And your response was, oh, my God, yes. And so this is what, <laughs> this is what led to this kind of conversation. Here's, let's stop for a second on the blue because I want to get my podcast co-host on this because sure. I believe our objection to the flag is similar, which is the blue, correct, Becky? That light blue. I mean, I got a few, but that blue, where Why the F you... does that come from? All right. You mean where the F and where the flag does that come from, right? I just don't get any, it, it doesn't feel like Minnesota, like a, a, a deep, you know, green or something you know that is where you've got lots of foot wood or forests and and i don't know it just to me that blue just seems like a i i never thought about it blending into the sky i think that is a great point carl um i just feel like it's very to me it feels a little um like north carolina ish it feels very kind of east coast you know like little white house on on the water and that's the blue that you would see on a wall. It does let's, not feel Minnesota to me. Let's be very specific about our, the color hex here is 41C3E1 <laughs> is the color. One more time for those at home, 41C3E, 41C3E1 is the color hex that we're talking about here. And uh, just a little just side story. Just really about, up in the nerd of this conversation. Just a little side story about me. Uh, I wanted to go to art school when I was a kid. And this is how the conversation went when I was a kid. Uh, Dad, I want to go to art school. And my father looked at me, God rest his soul, said to me, and he goes, obviously, you don't like to eat. <laughs> and I, that was it. That was my conversation about me going to art school when I was a kid. So I've always had, not as much as Carl, who looked at, I think the count was 2,200 of all the flag submissions. Yep. Rounding um, down, yes. Rounding, rounding down. Thank you, Carl. Rounding down. Um, and so my objection immediately was to that blue. Again, 41C3E1 is the uh, color hex. Um, that was my objection. And I think Becky is the same. But I think, Becky, your objection was to the blue. But Carl brings up a good point, which is the blue kind of fades into the the sky background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my other big frustration is, um, and I saw some variations. Uh, now, I did not look at all of the submissions, but um, after they kind of had it narrowed down, I saw some variations of this one with the stripes, different colors, with its solid colors, everything of the sort. Um, and I saw some with the the kind of inverted point of the K uh, that's supposed to represent the state of Minnesota drop down a little bit to actually look a little bit more like Minnesota. And that's something that I think should have also been accepted. Carl, what's your take on on that? I If if the K shape had been asymmetrical, I would have left the state. I would have had a bag <laughs> over my head. And, and, uh, that wow, have been, strong. Yeah. <laughs> so, but now, um, I, do you still like say that it looks like the state of Minnesota, or it just looks like other country flags that have 
a similar point. Like, I feel like it no longer represents Minnesota because now I get if the stripes were there, 100% needed to be symmetrical. But Mm. without the stripes, I feel like it could be symmetrical and represent the state a little bit better. You obviously Uh, disagree. (laughs) I do. Um, I I think if you're going to have the shape of your country on your flag, it's got to be pretty abstracted. Cyprus, for example, has the outline of Cyprus on their flag, which incidentally is a mediocre flag. Uh, Kosovo has the country's outline on its flag. It, ju- it just makes the flags look weird. Uh, you have country like, for example, Bosnia and Herzegovina has a stylized uh, shape of their country. It's a triangle, so it's pretty easy on their flag. It works well. Um, you don't think that the abstract K, I mean, with very straight lines, Minnesota does not have very straight borders. That no, that's work. true. Um, the, the issue for me with, so uh, I like the abstract Symmetrical K quite a bit, uh, but I the the asymmetrical K to me first of all like I don't know that we're I, I don't think actually the way it is drawn is particularly representative of, of the shape of Minnesota. I could see, for example, something like if you would get rid of the K and do something like you know uh, cutting in in the top third and bottom third and straight vertical in the middle, perhaps um, might might represent us uh, decently. But I, I also think that would be a worse design. But one of the things I like about uh, the flag, I do like a couple of things about the flag. Uh, and one the of them positives. is that abstract K shape, because, you know, it's it's common for countries to have, say, a, a vertical bar on the left side or a wedge on the left side. You get that in, in a lot of places, and it, and it can look very good. Uh, this is the sort of shape that you don't have uh, in in... I'm not aware of any other flag that has that shape. There may be some, but um, but it also looks like a, a shape a flag might have as a left side uh, feature, like a bar or a wedge. Um, so I think it blends. If we're going to go with that design, I, I think that element of it works really well. Uh, the star as well. I, I've heard a lot of people don't like the eight-point star. I like the eight-point star quite a bit, actually, and I'm glad they've gone with it. I think it's important to have... I think it's nice to have a star that sort of is emblematic of of your area. Look at Chicago has got their iconic six or uh, six pointed stars yep. on their flag. New Mexico has a great flag. It's got sort of a stylized four pointed star that's a Native American symbol. If uh, I may, what are your yeah. favorite state flags? My favorite state flag. New Mexico is one of them for sure. Uh, New Mexico, um, a lot of the classics. I mean, Colorado is iconic. Um, California, Colorado. Maryland. Um, I, I, I was going to tell you, if you say Maryland, I'm going to dump you. But we're too late. I, I can't say it now. I know you're a Maryland flag hater. Um, you, it's just a phase. You'll grow out of it. Hey, real quick. My fun <laughs> fact is similar to how you had to draw the Minnesota flag in sixth grade. Uh, Maryland was my state when I was in fourth grade, Ooh. and I had to draw the Maryland flag. It's a little tricky, too. It is, it's so good, though. <laughs> Uh, I think you picked some classics there. I think New Mexico, Colorado, California, those are all good. Those are all great <laughs> flags. Let's talk about one controversy, a bizarre controversy that came mm-hmm. up. The connection between the design of the new Minnesota flag and the flag connected to Somalia. Yeah, in particular, the state of Puntland in Somalia. Yes, um, yes. Which has, it has a light blue, so sky blue bar on the top with a white five-pointed star in it, and then a white bar in the middle, and then a green bar along the bottom. 
Uh, this looked similar to the, the proposed design, well, allegedly looked similar to the proposed design that I was talking about earlier that was my particular favorite with the K shape and then those three bars. Um, this was the, I'm on Twitter a decent amount, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that was probably the stupidest thing I've seen there in quite some time. Uh, it, I, I am really astounded by people who thought that. And if they were concerned about Minnesota's flag looking similar to other flags, they should really hate the old one. Uh, the old one looked identical to half the flags in the country. Uh, so that's a that's a pretty big crime to me. Uh, I certainly don't want to be associated with the, the poor people of Wisconsin and their flag. We ought to have something better than them. Correct. And I would uh, agree with that. Becky, you may not know, Becky is uh, part Wisconsinite. She's married to oh, I'm sorry. a person from Wisconsin. And uh, they legally have a child who I think is 50% Wisconsin. Oh, boy. So... Well, um, and so this flag. It, it is a pretty crazy conspiracy conspiracy theory, though, correct? Yeah, it's it's really ridiculous. I mean, there are there are plenty of flags. You know, why not? Why? Why? I got to look up which one this is. Uh, why, why not the flag of Sierra Leone that has the green, white and blue stripes in it? Why weren't they accused of looking like that one? I don't know, because they're just looking up, making up things to get mad about uh, because they have you know, they can't actually defend the old flag because it's terrible from both a design perspective and uh, and a symbolism perspective. If I may, just for a second, just for argument's sake, th this flag of the state of Somalia, now it's not the flag of Somalia, but it's a state within Somalia, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, give us your rating of that flag, of that, the flag of uh, Putin land of the state of Somalia. Get your, give us your take on that flag. It's got uh, the green in it. It's, I mean, it's fine. Um, it the colors look a little bit pre-faded to me, and that I think the Minnesota they the do. flag in Minnesota looked a little bit better. The colors were a little a little richer, which I liked. Um, but I have to tell you something. I like the blue on that. I like the that blue, the blue on the that from the Putin state of Somalia that flag. Yeah. Then I do the lighter blue on our flag. Really. Yeah, I yeah. Do. It's, Watch what it's, you say. People are going to come for you. <laughs> but, and let me just say to you something. I think Carl is right in his description. This is insane to think that this was done, to think that this was done. And who thinks of this stuff? I mean, it, there has to be, in essence, if there's a good person like Carl who's sitting there and looking at 2,200 flag analysis of fl images of flag, we have to believe there's a bizarro Carl somewhere who's working and doing the exact opposite for nefarious reasons. And so there's a Bizarro Carl who's doing that. Becky, you get that comic book reference, don't you, Bizarro? You know yes, Bizarro of Super course. Okay. Do you not know? No. You know you know Superman is, don't you? I, I'm aware of that, yes. Okay, so there's a Bizarro Superman who's opposite of Superman, and he's bad. And so when I say Bizarro Carl, I'm saying here you have mm. Carl fighting for truth, justice, in the American way. And then there's someone in a bizarro sense in the opposite way. I did not know that this episode yeah. could get more nerdy. So I yeah, appreciate so, that. But Carl understood that. <laughs> so I, I think we'll just say this. I think it's a bizarre conspiracy theory to think that someone that, and here's the other thing they try to do. They try to tie this to Congresswoman Omar to say that this is a connection from, she's from Somalia. Again, this flag was from, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Puntland in Somalia, correct? Yes, that's right. The flag that people were Puntland in Somalia. 
that people were referencing this flag from. I think I'm referring to it correctly, and memory serves me that's yeah. the name. But I just looked up the flag, and, and my only take, not about the conspiracy, but in analyzing the two flags, is that I don't like the, the star placement in the, the flag no, from um, Somalia, that, for that's, from that state in Somalia. I do like their blue better. They're green. Um, it's a little more Kelly green, which uh, my wife's a big fan of Kelly green. Um, and so I'm a fan of that. Um, but uh, I think it's good that we dispense with that. You do not believe, based on information you have right now, Carl, let's put this to bed. You do not have any information that Congresswoman Omar uh, improperly influenced the committee, nor did she, nor was this some type of circumvention of the process. And of that she not. was involved in ranking this. We have no information at all that, that this, this, the sanctity of the committee was broken by not, not undue only influence that. by some state actor from Somalia. Not only that, Yohan Omar is not from Puntland. She's from Correct. Mogadishu, according to the internet, which I just oh, looked up. Let's not let facts get in the way of a good conspiracy no. theory. No, we can't let, we can't let facts, uh, can't let facts uh, influence you, our I I could just for a moment, I think we're all in various degrees, students of politics. Is this not one of the most bonker conspiracy theories that we've heard? Can we just for a second, just go through a conspiracy? I mean, this is one of the craziest I've ever heard. I think it's actually a little bit more predictable. I mean, I think that if, if somebody predictable. predictable, I think that if anybody who wants to make this a left versus right debate and say that this is Steve Simon and the Democrats on a task force. And, you know, it is Omar, you know, looking to bring in. I, I feel like it's when I don't know, it's not that surprising to me that somebody took an opportunity to make this a left versus right Somalia versus United States kind of issue. It's it. it's 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 a far-fetched and just a ridiculous actual accusation but it's not surprising to me that somebody went there or people multiple people went there and it had some legs go ahead carl it's also worth noting the field of blue that is the final flag looks more like the national flag of somalia which is just a field of blue with a star on it if that's what people <laughs> are concerned about uh and it's so it's 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 a ridiculous uh it's a ridiculous idea of course and not one that's resolved by the choice of this worse flag. I hope, I hope to God the committee was not influenced by seeing this. I don't know if they did, but I, you know, I, I saw this before they made their final choice. And I would be, I would be, I have no reason to imagine they were influenced, but I sure would be disappointed if they were. Where does the process go from here? This, I think now goes, this flag has been adopted by this committee. And now it goes to the legislature. What do you think, what's the next steps and do you think there'll be final tweaks before this flag is scheduled to be done, I believe, by statehood this year, 2024, excuse me? Yeah. So um, as the as the uh, bill was written last year, uh, the legislature actually does not have to approve the flag. It will it will go automatically into effect uh, unless the legislature and the governor uh, pass legislation in the normal way, basically canceling its implementation. Um, I personally think that should be done because I don't think this is a good flag. I think we should have another go at it. Okay. So, I, you, so you mentioned you can, I emailed my legislators saying, let's have another go at it. Okay. You, you don't have to whisper this. We can record this. So say it again. Just so you <laughs> think that 
do you so you're advocating for this there to be a redesign of this flag? I'm advocating for or starting over. Them. Not starting over. I think uh, and we have we have you know 2,200 submissions. Uh, there are uh, there are dozens of fantastic flags among them. There were there were many other great variations considered by the committee before they selected this one. So you know we could go back to the six finalists and pick F29 the star flag. We could pick a different variation of of this flag. We could pick one of the other uh one of the other uh of the of the many many flags that were submitted that would be excellent uh including dog on lawn um and you know this committee was not expensive to uh have it was pretty cheap to do and it would be you know or we could pretty just have the what's that pretty cheap for democrats i mean it's cheap for everybody yeah, if, exactly. you, if you okay. want to calculate what what percentage of your taxes went to this committee, uh, you may have trouble finding a calculator with enough digits. Correct. But. So you're rooting for so if they if this gets if they don't approve so if they do nothing in essence, this flag becomes it. So there has to That's be right. proactive action taken to prevent this yes. from becoming the state flag. And your argument would be if that's done, they you you would be voting for F twenty nine, which is I think the the yellow blue white version correct that's still my first choice but i'm also still open to to other designs that are at least more interesting this is just not a, not an interesting flag it's got the, the, the that's another effect that the two very similar colors have is they're just not very interesting together they don't draw the eye to it um and that's a disservice to minnesota i think um it's it's a difficult question because there's sort of two dynamics on the one hand objectively i think this is not a very good flag for the reasons I've discussed at punishing length. But um, on the other hand, there's a natural uh, a natural desire among Minnesotans to believe that everything we have is superior to what people in other states have. And that's true. Of course but it's true. We, we can't let it we can't let it blind us to the weaknesses of the flag. And you know, I, I've seen lots of people saying, oh well look how, like this flag, it is true, is already among the best state flags in the country because the bar is so low. But objectively speaking, it's not very good. So we could still be among the best with a mediocre flag. I don't think we should settle for that. We have tons of excellent you know, contenders. The legislature could pick one of them. It could run the process again with a perhaps more qualified committee uh, and see where we are. I would support either of those options. So let's say this is our flag and a new one isn't happening. What do you think I, I'm interested in both of you uh, hearing from both of you on, do you think people will be able to move past the old flag to embrace the new one or are folks going to just revolt and cling to the past and, and we're going to see lots of uh, old school Minnesota flags flying still? I have no affinity to our current flag. I have been lobbied successfully by Carl on the subject, and I believe there should be a new flag for a variety of reasons. I was pretty opposed to this flag. It's warming on me a little bit, but now I'm back to where I was. I think Carl mm -hmm. made some really good points. And as I, my real objection is to 41C3E1, the color hex. That's my big objection. And I think that's the right color based on the, the program that I'm using. That's my big objection. Carl brings up F29. 
and I would not be opposed to F-29. And so my hope is that there is a change. I think for some reason, there's just this has not been a clean process. And I think what I worry about is, as they, as someone famously said, a camel is a horse designed by committee. And so I wonder if we can produce uh, a flag that everyone likes, that everyone will agree upon. But I think that this one missed the mark. But I'm going to defer to hear what Carl says next. Uh, well, I, I agree with you, of course. Um, Thank you. Regarding whether the old flag will uh, stick around, first of all, I, I've almost never seen a residential building flying the Minnesota flag. I've seen them at like corporate office parks with the, you know, handful of other flags because they like to just have flags up. Nobody at home flies this flag and is excited about it. There are a couple of people now who are, uh, for just to be cranks, I guess, are are stockpiling the old one to to stand proud and in favor of in favor of being indistinguishable from half the other states in the country. Um, if this becomes the official flag, I'll probably buy it and fly it. It's it's better than nothing, and uh, you know, a a flag is a flag is still something good to have. Um, so, you know, you, you'll see a couple of just weird people. Tim Wall said it really well a couple of weeks ago. These guys are weird in practice. Um, and so you, you'll get a couple of holdouts for a while probably, but nobody, like nobody reasonable cares. It's like, not to get not to get political at the end of the flag podcast. It's like half the other crank things they're on about all the time. Nobody cares about this old flag that was bad and indistinguishable from half the other flags. People will fly the new one. They'll forget the old one in a couple of years at most. Carl, we appreciate you joining us today, and we were going to cover this subject much more because of you. You've been, you were the basis that we had Representative Freiburg on, and we appreciate you lending your expertise. We are blessed to have someone on. I think we may have one of the only people on our podcast or in that's ever been on that's all looked at all 2200 images. <laughs> we thank you for being accessible and available and bringing uh, some lev levity and knowledge to this conversation. And uh, I have a feeling that we're going to be having you back to discuss all matters related to the flag and other subjects as we get into Thank you. I look forward so, to Carl, it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Carl. So that was a thrilling conversation. Carl is obviously very passionate about flags. So thanks for, for hooking us up and, and bringing him on. He's great. Um, a variety of subjects. I'm a huge fan of him and his family. And I think we should have him on another subject. He'd be great. We have discussed having getting some kids that are in college on. We have to find someone that can go up against Carl because he is a super genius. He's an absolute super genius, and it was a pleasure to talk to him, and his knowledge about the flag was great, and it's, an, it's all a true story. Literally, one of the first times I had had a conversation with him, he brought the state flag, which led to our conversation with Rep Freiburg, which I mentioned, and then to hear him talk about the fact that when he was eight years ago, when he was 13 years old, the first email he sent to a legislator was about the state flag. I love to interview people who are passionate about subjects. And Absolutely. Carl is very passionate about this, and that came through. And I'm so appreciative that he came on, and our guests are going to be able to hear that enthusiasm. And I hope to have him on another subject because he's just a joy to talk to. 
Absolutely. It was it was entertaining to be here. So hopefully our, our listeners also are entertained. Going to switch topics a little bit. So next up, we are going to break down uh, the Trump ruling in Colorado, as well as discuss briefly the Christie decision in Maine. So let's start with with all things Trump. Uh, as our as folks probably are aware, this week uh, the Colorado Supreme Court declared President Trump ineligible for the ballot in their state. So now this is something we've spoken with. Uh, Dave Thule had him on, talked a little bit about the lawsuit here in Minnesota to keep Trump off the ballot. In Colorado, um, it did go to the Supreme Court. They did rule uh, to keep him off under the U.S. Constitution's insurrection clause. <clears throat> so it is removing him from that state's primary ballot. This actually overturns a previous ruling that uh, a, a previous district court judge who found that it was unclear the insurrection clause was intended to cover the presidency. So this, uh, man, it's going to be it's going to be uh, interesting to watch this play out. So a couple little facts here. All justices on this Supreme Court in Colorado are appointed by Democratic governors, which is obviously going to be something that we're going to be talking about of the politics at play here. This is the first time in history that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment has been used to disqualify a presidential candidate. And this specific ruling is con currently stayed until January 4th. So it's not enacted yet. Um, they are hoping or expecting, I should say, the U.S. Supreme Court to take this up. And, and I think that's very likely. Uh, so your initial initial thoughts on that? I'm torn. I'm really torn in this because I can see it one of a couple ways. And I think, I think Dave Thule made some amazing points about, you know, the constitutional arguments why Trump should be removed. I'm also swayed a little bit by the argument that other people who have not, who are not supportive of Donald Trump have said that this plays right into the narrative that they've tried to claim is that there's a deep state out there trying to keep Trump, uh, that's, that's holding Trump back, that's operating against him, that um, he's being subjected to unfair government forces to try to keep him off the ballot. I think it plays into that narrative, but I also think we need to have standards. I, I think courts, both in you know, we we do not have national elections. We have fifty state elections for president, and each state makes a determination as to what is permissible, what qualifies a candidate to be on the ballot. Um, there are legal qualifications for someone to be on the ballot that they have to meet, and there are also a lot of states have qualifications related to you know character issues such as this. Um, I think ultimately this is going to be ruled by this. I think ultimately this goes to the Supreme Court. I think they're going to have to make a determination on what happens. The problem is going to be is if that doesn't happen. Now, we had a good conversation with Secretary of State Steve Simon about this, where he said that ultimately it goes to, he thinks it goes to the Supreme Court, and they make a kind of a, a blanket kind of decision as to what happens. Um, what I'm concerned about is kind of the weaponization of the courts that there is a, a back and forth that happens in these types of situations and that I worry that this is just a new legal avenue that's going to be pursued. Ultimately, I think it should be up to the voters to decide his competency, his qualifications, and whether he should be there. But I'm also very, I'm also 
very sympathetic to the arguments that Dave Thule had made related to the Minnesota case that, that did Trump violate his oath? Did he violate his oath to the Constitution? And so if we're going to have these types of laws on the books for these type of legal challenges to be pursued, we have to live within the, that kind of framework. And, uh, and so if we're going to, uh, I think that states are going to have to decide if we're going to have these type of challenges, then, then candidates that fit the circumstances need to be, can be judged by that standard. Um, but I do, I, I, it's, it's one of the few issues, Becky, that I'm really torn on. I can see both sides. And, and one of the things that I think it's fair to say is that we don't, generally kind of both sides issues, but I'm really struggling with how this one goes. I'm really struggling with it. And, and where I'm kind of leaning is that I'd like to see Trump go away. I'm not, I didn't support him in 16 or 20. I think the worst thing for Trump would be for him to lose an election in a, in a, in a decisive manner. That would be the best mandate against him. I think everything like this type of court minutia and this type of court challenges gives him an argument to play the victim. Um, that's kind of where I am right now, but, but I'd love to get your take. I, I think you said it very well. I have, um, obviously concerns about this ruling. I think, like you said, Dave Thule, when we had him on, I was very intrigued and interested in, in the arguments that they made for the Minnesota lawsuit. Here is, you know, it, it's not just Trump that is going to play the victim here. I think that this is a large swath of the Republican Party and just Americans in general who kind of feel like the man's out to get them, that the system is not built for everyone and it uh, takes certain steps to prevent people from moving forward. And in this case, I think we need to look at, you know, first of all, I, I did leave this out. While there are seven justices on the court that are all appointed by Democratic governors, it was a 4-3 decision. So it was not an entirely decisive, unanimous decision by these um, justices to to move in this direction. What I think we're going to see is a lot of, 100% of the victim side of things. We're already seeing that a little bit where it's certainly, um, you know, the election interference and the attack on democracy, I don't think are completely wild things to say when you're looking at this. I think when we're talking about Colorado, Trump did lose Colorado by 13 points. It's not necessarily a state that he's expecting, I think, to win in this next cycle. But it does, I think, open the door for other challenges in other states um, until this is decided by the Supreme Court. One thing that is going to be very troublesome on that is the timeline. The Like I mentioned, Colorado did stay this decision until January 4th. That's because on January 5th is when their deadline is to start printing primary ballots. So here we are, you know, we're, we're taping this just before Christmas. We're weeks away from that. So with two holidays, you know, between now and January 4th, I, I don't know what the, the schedule of the Supreme Court is right now. And I don't necessarily know that they're working on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But this is a really, really tight scenario for them to be able to turn around, make a decision in order for these states to be able to move forward. So it is certainly, um, I think it's I think it's troublesome. One thing that I would be interested in your take on is I've been reading some articles um, and, and some folks who have been saying that Joe Biden should come out and denounce this. Um, I don't know that that will happen. I do think, though, that like you said, Trump losing 
at the at the ballot box is going to be the best way for us to move past the Trump era. And I do think it would be a very um, compelling situation for Biden to to step in and, and say before the Supreme Court. Obviously, we don't need him to say that after a Supreme Court decision. It's kind of, you know, something to to get out now and, and have a good political play saying we need to let this play out. If Trump's, you know, going to the, the Supreme Court should make the decision and then we should fight it out of the with the voters. So what do you think? Do you think Biden's going to make any comments on it? Boy, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I don't know if he does. I don't know if he does. I can see it both ways. The The reality is that Joe Biden, based on current polling that I've seen, he d- wins against Trump. In a, I mean, it's a close election against Trump. You could, let me be clear about that. Yeah, I think it's an election between Biden and Trump is close. I think there's a path for either one of them to win, which we've discussed. I do think that if Biden is a nominee against the other Republicans, they do very well against Joe Biden. And so I think it's in Joe Biden's political advantage to go one-on-one against Trump. He could still lose, though. And so you get into then the philosophical argument of where he believes. And if I was Biden... I boy, I I got to just tell you, this is the one I'm struggling with because I can see good arguments on both sides, but where I'm really leaning is the best thing is for Donald Trump to face the voters. But I also have to, but I also have to be candid with you is sometimes voters don't make the best decision. They just don't make the best decision sometimes, and we have to dispel this belief that, um, you know, it always works out at the at the ballot box. Um, so we'll see. I think I could see tactically. I could see it being both ways. The question is, who does it ben- Who benefits if 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 Biden goes out and says that? I mean, I would ask you who he. I think he looks. I wonder how many people. I, I guess I haven't seen recent polling based on the Colorado decision. What I do believe, based on polling that I've seen, is that the more kind of legal troubles that Trump gets into, as he's been indicted, if he's convicted, that hurts him in the polls. And so this is a, an election challenge to Trump being on the ballot that still need, that will need to be resolved, I think, relatively soon. But he also then is facing a number of legal challenges coming forward into right. the election. And so if Biden speaks out on this one, does he have to speak out on all of them? No, um, I think that my perspective is— a great question you had. I think that Biden—I think Biden wins if he, if he comes out and says— You think he wins? If he comes out and says, we need the Supreme Court to take this up immediately, this is something that should not be decided by the states, and we need to, you know, and goes that route. I think it's that's the statement he makes, I'll agree with you. And I think it takes a little bit of the window to the sales of the Trump campaign and Republicans saying that this is a Democratic move versus just a legal move, because it is hard to look at a court that is seven Democratic appointed justices who are making this stance. It's easy to make that a decision or make that argument that this is a political move, not a legal move. So Got it. Biden doing that, I think, kind of takes some of the wind out of the sails. I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think they're looking to put Biden out doing any statements uh, that are completely not necessary. But one thing that is related but different is Chris Christie's ballot situation. So Chris Christie this week also, um, it was announced that he is going to be left off the ballot in Maine. Now, this is not a decision by the courts. It it is a a decision that, well, it, it started with the Secretary of State. So um, every state has a little bit different of how 
candidates need to get on a ballot. Sometimes it's just a fee. Sometimes it's signatures. Completely different based on the states. In Maine, Secretary of State had said that the Christie campaign fell short of the necessary number of certified signatures needed from Maine voters to allow him to qualify for the state's Republican primary ballot. So in in Maine, the candidates are face or are, um, have a requirement to file the signatures with municipal clerks before to get certified, and then they go to the uh, Secretary of State's office. So here they needed uh, a minimum of 2,000 certified signatures. The Christie campaign says, whoa, 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 we're appealing. We gathered 6,000 signatures and said that it was just a procedural issue with how they were uh, reviewed and and in that sort and submitted. Um, now the director of elections has come out saying that they only turned in 844 of the minimum 2000 certified signatures. So the court campaign has appealed it. Maine Supreme Court or Superior Court decided just yesterday or just this week that the secretary of state's handling um, of the situation was correct. They failed to meet those requirements and he is not going to be on the ballot. Now, I think we can both agree that Christy maybe doesn't have a, a super strong path forward. He is my guy. I'm a big fan still, uh, although I, I think Mickey, maybe Nikki Haley has surpassed him in, in my personal rankings. But this is a major failure. I mean, this is, I guarantee, well, I would assume some staff got fired on this to bungle this so poorly. Um, like I said, it is not uncommon for signatures to be required to get on a ballot. Usually those are tied up in a nice little bow and you have an extra, you know, 50 or 100 per municipality or, or whatever your requirement is for them to only accept 844 of the supposed 6,000 that they gathered. Somebody didn't do their job and somebody really failed miserably on this. The argument for Trump is is a legal argument based on theory and what the, this seems to be an administrative failure. By the campaign. Right. What's your take? Do you see the distinction between the two? 100%. And what do you think, Christy, if the camp, if it's an administrative failure, do you think he should be off the ballot? Yeah. I think it's it's cut Boy, and dry. I, have a, I agree with you. Yeah. I think it's very cut and dry. I think that they had plenty of time to sit. And typically, I don't know how Maine works, but in my experience working with at various levels with these kind of things... You don't just have one day that you get to go in and they verify this, right? You could have gone in weeks in advance, start, you know, submitting this, get the verification, have, you know, make sure that you, you know, whatever municipality you need, you get them verified there. You, you know, sit down and you have daily meetings with your campaign. You make sure that they're all good to go before you get them to the Secretary of State's office. So it sounds like not only did they have failures of gathering the proper signatures, they had failures of getting them to the municipal clerks to be certified before then handing over to the Secretary of State's office. So it seems like there were multiple staff failures. This campaign really dropped the ball here, and I think it is completely different. There are qualifications that are necessary for these roles. And it is really concerning when somebody can't follow basic, you know, when you're, it, it, it kind of forces you to look at a person and say, if you don't have people surrounding you who are able, able to follow the most basic of instructions and rules, 
are you are you qualified? Are are you, are you do you have good people surrounding you that you're going to be you know president and not drop the ball and you know big things that are going on? So which I know is kind of a crappy thing to say because. You know, these campaign staffers are largely probably young individuals that are not looking to necessarily all go work in the White House. But uh, it is a complete failure, completely different to me than what's going on with the Trump Colorado situation. I think you're spot on. I think you said it perfectly. I think what you're describing, and I agree with, is a competency issue when it comes to staff. If you can't organize a 50-state campaign, and in all seriousness, it's not a 50-state campaign, but there's 50 states. And that's the way you run a presidential race, but right now they're organizing and they're building in a number of these states. If you can't get, if you can't understand the election procedures to get on the ballot in Maine or in other states, are you running the type of competent campaign that could? If you win the White House, can you successfully govern? I just want to ask you first, and I, so I agree with you completely. Christie is northeast, he's the eastern kind of seaboard, northeast kind of candidate. How does this hurt him in the kind of the process? Do you think by not getting on the ballot? I mean, I think it just puts questions in people's minds about his competency and, you know, path forward. I think there's already been a big push for him to drop out before Super Tuesday. He's kind of going all in on New Hampshire. And so, you know, I don't know if you know much about the state of or the United States of America, but New Hampshire and Maine are pretty close together. And so I think that it certainly just adds more questions to folks who maybe were questioning, you know, if they were debating between two and here is, you know, he's already going to be left off a, a ballot, you know, do, does he deserve your your vote in, in New Hampshire or Iowa or these other states where he might be a contender at this time? Here's the other point I'll make. One of the things that we've discussed about the presidential debates, and we'll be doing a show about another one here soon, is that Christie's kind of the law and order candidate. He talks about that, talks about his role as a former United States attorney. And he's taken that kind of law and order approach. Mm-hmm. If you're going to take that kind of law and order approach, you're going to talk about that organization, that stuff. Your campaign's got to be able to get signatures in on time. And I think there's great contrast. And there's two, there are obviously two different legal cases. But for administrative reasons, if you can't follow the rules and get your name on the ballot or do the proper procedure to get on the ballot, you should be off. And I think you and I are both in the same position. It's interesting because we didn't talk about that when we started doing the pod, where we were going to be. But I'm been Christie person. I think it might come from the fact that he, I remember he came in for Emmer once yeah. uh, when you, in Emmer race and, and I liked him and uh, he flirted with running for president in 2012, but didn't get in and got it now in again. And uh, I've wanted him to do more in this race. And I think he's hit that wall, but I think, and uh, Nikki Haley's picked up some of that momentum, but this is an embarrassment. This is a misstep. And I think you described it completely accurately how people should look at it. So kudos to you for that description. Well, thank you. I am certainly excited to, uh, you know, as we move into 2024 here, and we're going to have lots more conversations as we start seeing people drop out, people pick up delegates and see what the path forward looks like for Christy, for Trump, for Haley, DeSantis, and uh, I mean, I guess Vivek still in there too. So it's going to be fun conversations to continue having as we move forward. It gets whittled down and, Dear Lord, hopefully somebody other than Trump. We'll see. Thank you so much for today. Have a good one. We want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can leave a review or give us a shout out on our website or across all social media platforms at at BBBreakPod. The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky will return next week. Thank you again for listening.